Hello and welcome back to A Better World. This is your host, Mitchell J. Rabin, and I'm very glad you're joining us again today. Today we are continuing talking about the very important theme of climate change and global warming and educating all of us about the very great need there is to know more about it and by knowing, coming up with solutions. Well, we're very lucky today because we have the co-author of Drawdown, the most comprehensive plan ever proposed to reverse global warming. That's right, reverse global warming. That is Catherine Wilkinson, who co-authored this with Paul Hawken. And their work is very possibly going to have the impact that we would like to see on our climate, on our planet, because we have gone so far afield. Well, Catherine's a very interesting person, a little bit in the direction of her bio, which is extensive. She has got an interdisciplinary background, cutting across research, strategy, advocacy, and thought leadership. Previously, she was the director of strategy at the Purpose Consultancy Bright House, She has taught at the University of Oxford and Agnes Scott College and worked for the Boston Consulting Group and the Natural Resources Defense Council. Her first book, Between God and Green, How Evangelicals Are Cultivating a Middle Ground on Climate Change, was called, quote, a vitally important, even subversive story by the Boston Globe, Global Warming, Climate Change, Oh, yes, exactly, by the Boston Globe. That's quite a statement. As an international public speaker, Catherine's perspective has been featured by Aspen Ideas, Skoll World Forum, Talks at Google, and the Weather Channel. She holds a doctorate in geography and environment from Oxford, where she was also a Rhodes Scholar and a BA in religion from Sewanee, the University of the South. She's also happiest when she's on a mountain and on her horse. And uh, I wouldn't doubt probably both at the same time is also very desirable. And uh, (laughs) while it's always important to have fun, it's also very important to be very aware of what it is Catherine is doing and what she's contributing to creating a better world. So, Catherine, welcome to the show. A pleasure to have you. Mitchell, thank you so much uh, for having me on, and um, thank you for that lovely dramatic reading <laughs> um, <laughs> of, uh, of my background. Um, yeah, if, if, only, if only we weren't facing uh, so many big challenges um, as, a, as a species and as a, as a planet, um, I would spend yeah. a lot more time on a mountain or a horse. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny you say that. I say the same thing. I, I'm a big tennis player, and... Uh, if I had more time, if I wasn't out, as my wife says, out there saving the world, you know, I'd be playing more <laughs> paddle tennis and tennis. Yeah, <laughs> so no, maybe I very we would much see you. <laughs> maybe we would I'm see sorry? you in a in a cat suit in a cat suit at a Grand Slam. <laughs> <laughs> maybe so. Maybe so. A great idea. Great idea. 
Well, anyway, listen, I'm so glad that you are here with us here at A Better World. I'm so glad that we have the opportunity to talk about Drawdown on our show with you. And actually, let's just remind the audience from the get-go that we are holding a Drawdown event in New York City, in the Big Apple, on September 24th at the Society for Ethical Culture. And if you go to uh, our website, www.abetterworld.tv, it's all there, splayed out for ease of access. And you can buy the very expensive ticket of $10 and bring all of your friends and family too. We still have uh, about 100 seats left. I just found out. So uh, anyway, Catherine... Yeah, no, we're almost filled up. It's fantastic. It's almost and, filled uh, up. It is, you know, Mitchell, we, we've had some really fantastic drawdown events over the last year and a half, but I, I think this one may be the pinnacle um, to, to do this event with Bill McKibben and, and Lynn oh, Twist yes. and uh, Karen Washington, all of these really incredible luminaries yes. in the space um, who, who bring such a wide and deep set of perspectives it's it's going to be fantastic oh yes i'm so interested to hear that because you who are in the driver's seat with all of this Catherine, you've been watching these events happen just give us a little sketch about that like where have they taken place how many of them and what has been the response in that order. Yes. So, <laughs> yeah. Gosh, I, I, I wish I had. I wish I had a count. Um, there, yeah. uh, we, we get requests, almost multiple requests every day. So we can't possibly. We're a, a very small team. So oh, unfortunately, yes. we can't possibly actually go and share the Fulfill. work um, in as yeah. many forums as as we would like to. But um, we have been. Mm-hmm all over the world, um, from Brazil to Australia to Copenhagen uh, to Toronto, all over the U.S. Um, it's the, the kind of global uptake and excitement about this work has been really incredible. Um, and it's, it's been a real privilege um, for our team to get to go and, and give it voice live and in, and in person um, in, in a number mm. of places. That is so good to hear. And the reception in each of these places that you know of has been excellent, very good, good. <laughs> what would you say? Um, it's, it's Check been, them all. It's been right? excellent. Yeah, I would say it's yes. been excellent. But, you know, mostly in, in so many ways because, A, mm-hmm. This work is filling a huge gap, which we can talk a, a little bit more about. Um, yes. And B, you know, this isn't our plan, right? The, the subtitle of the book, The Most Comprehensive Plan Ever Proposed to Reverse Global Warming, we didn't come up with that plan. Our work was really to gather and codify and share back to humanity our collective wisdom. Um, and mm-hmm. so I think part of the excitement about the work is that people – see themselves and their efforts and the, the things they care about reflected in, in drawdown. Um, and I think it helps, it helps us feel like we're part of this bigger collective um, working towards this great big goal of reversing global warming. Yes, yes, yes. Well, it's interesting. I have been through a better world, Catherine, working 
diligently and assiduously at uh, finding solutions and acting on solutions, largely in the space, interestingly, of social enterprise, of helping mm-hmm. uh, green renewable energy types of companies get off the ground and get into motion to replace the use of fossil fuels largely and to build out a renewable energy-based economy and any number of other measures uh, that we all know um, through our minds and through our guts are the ways to go to mitigate reduce the carbon footprint, et cetera, et cetera. But I've never seen it codified in such a way as a comprehensive plan, which you have put together, you and Paul, with all the hundreds of scientists that have given you their input. So there's a real, almost a metric involved here in your prioritization. Is that correct? That's right. That's right. We have a a really incredible research team that – has involved over 60 research fellows from 22 countries and six continents to date, um, and led by a really talented group of of senior researchers. And um, what we did was bring together um, this very comprehensive cross-sector set of solutions that um, include, of course, the critical uh, technologies in in renewable energy um, and energy storage and grid flexibility, but also transportation, buildings, cities, materials, um, food, uh, ecosystems, and land use, um, and also the, the sector focused on yeah on on women and girls. So to bring all of that together in one place um, and into yes. one global systems model of the solutions um, to look at them as a, as, a, as a system, as a set of interconnected technologies and practices that we could um, bring to greater scale over the coming decades. Um, how does that all fit together? And, and what's the, the kind of apples to apples comparison um, mm-hmm. of, of these solutions, right? Kind of how much can each of them deliver in terms of emissions impact um, over 30 years? And, and that's the math uh, of, of drawdown. Yes. And, and there were some, some really kind of illuminating insights that, that came out of that. Well, you know, I, the way you have the work organized is so interesting. You know, I asked about a metric, but you, for on every single, in every single category, you've really figured out just the amount of carbon reduction, the net value of the cost savings, and in a sense what it would cost to build out that particular structure or technology or or recommendation. I mean, that's really, these are awesome numbers that you've come up with. I mean, it's billions, and it's clearly into the many trillions of dollars when you take out your calculator and add it all up, you know. Um, It's an impressive job that you have all accomplished here. How did you get this funded, if you don't mind my asking? I'm just curious about, this is a massive, massive undertaking. It is, um, it's a massive undertaking. And, and one, frankly, that is, is sort of shocking that no one had done it until now, to be perfectly honest. Yes. Um, but I Very think true. the massiveness of the undertaking was, you know, was, was daunting. Um, 
in, yes. in certain ways and and to to assemble the the sheer variety of expertise that was needed for for this project um, but it was it was an idea that simmered <laughs> for many years for Paul Hawken um, who is our executive director um, who, yeah. who really saw the need for this work right that scientists have done such an extraordinary job detailing the science of global warming, the current and the, the likely future impacts. Um, but humanity really didn't have a comprehensive, convincing path forward to not just address it, but to reverse it. Um, yeah. And, and so Paul being Paul, um, he was able to kind of marshal a set of early supporters and funders um, to, to help us get this work off the ground. One of our, um, mm -hmm. l probably our longest supporter um, and, and one of our kind of most fervent is the Ray C. Anderson Foundation. And uh, folks may, may know that name. Uh, Ray Anderson mm -hmm. was the founder oh, and yes. CEO and Carpet. chairman of Interface. Yes, he was, yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> yes. Oh, he, um, that's such a great story. And it was really Paul that in, in uh, that impacted him so greatly at one of his lectures, if I recall. That's right. That's right. Um, Ray, a, 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 a colleague of Ray's at Interface, um, gave him Paul's uh, earlier book, The Ecology of Commerce. Uh, I think this was yeah. in the mid-90s. And yeah. Ray read it and had what he, he called a spear in the chest moment um, and released that Interface. <laughs> uh -huh on a course to become what is now one of the, the real vanguards um, in terms of not just sustainability, but restoration and regeneration through business. Um, yeah. It's really incredible. And uh, the, the Racy Anderson Foundation is carrying on his legacy. And, you know, I think what's really fantastic about our relationship with them is that we have a real shared theory of change, which is that we have to prove the possible to be able to create it. Um, that is exactly what Ray did at, you know, in, in his leadership at Interface, right? Rather than pointing to problems and spreading fear and depression, yeah. uh, he showed what was possible. And then Interface really was able to do things that no one thought would, would be possible for a petrochemical-based manufacturing company. And, yes. you know, now I think that's in very much the same vein, Project Drawdown is, is proving what's possible uh, for this greatest mm -hmm. challenge facing humanity. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. I, I'm so thrilled. I'm thinking of a gentleman who is out of Stanford, you asked, why hasn't this happened yet before? Uh, comprehensive plan. Well, unfortunately, his name is escaping me, but there were a couple of uh, Josh Fox who did the film on fracking, a couple of films on fracking, mm -hmm. and uh, yeah. a very well-known actor, God, whose name is escaping me, who's another major environmentalist, who I've met at a New York, uh, you know, political environmental meeting once. Uh, they worked with this professor at Stanford, and they, I'm just forgetting, Catherine, maybe you would remember the name of this project, but basically they went from state to state and mm -hmm. came up with a 
solar energy plan of how long it would take and what it would uh, cost to set up each state year uh, one by one to solar, and then they did the same thing for the entire world. So that's the only comprehensive plan I know of. It's kind of single-focused, not like what you're doing mm-hmm. here by any means. And uh, is this ringing a bell for you? Yes, I, I think probably you're thinking about Mark Jacobson's work that yes. that then has become kind of the foundation exactly. for the Solutions Project. Is that, is that's that what you're exactly thinking it. about? That's exactly yeah. it. Thank you. And I don't want know, to call it, it a senior so moment, but... I, yeah, I no. lost track, and I've <laughs> interviewed him. I was so impressed. I have interviewed him a couple of times, but it's been a while now. So please go on. Yeah, you know, and I, I think it's so interesting, Mitchell, because um, obviously energy is such – I mean, it is the linchpin um, of, of, addressing, uh, of addressing global warming, um, but it's not the only tool in our toolbox. And I think that's yes. what people have been really excited about with Drawdown is that it opens up, you know, a sense that there are so many footholds of action for every individual and every institution on the planet. Um, and that ranges yes. from addressing food waste to ensuring that girls are educated worldwide. Um, and and I, I think it gives people a sense that um, there is a Space that they can play, um, that they can take part in this somehow, um, and and just opens it up in in a way that's really generative. Yes, exactly. I love it. I mean, you're right. Materials, energy, food, land use, women and girls, energy. It goes on. Buildings and cities. These are the different subjects of focus of drawdown mm-hmm. that you go into extensively, and uh, it's it's very impressive. I'd love if you would, Catherine, to walk us through uh, maybe you know the first half a dozen of the top items or so because um maybe we'll go reach into seven because uh, that's important sure uh, sure you know and and that will give our audience a, a sense of the breadth and the depth of what you've done here and what we as you know humans as planetarians as a human species representatives need to do like yesterday because it's such a dire situation. I haven't asked you to do the diagnosis because maybe in our guts we all know <laughs> what's really going on. But yeah. would you walk us through? I, I, yeah, and and certainly, you know, I think it's um, obviously our our focus with drawdown is on what's possible. Um, but I think it is worth just stating. The, the gravity, you know, of, of the situation yes. and the, the very tight, tight timelines we have for really, truly exponential systemic change around the world. Um, and, you know, it's um, the bar is high and, and the odds are long, frankly. But what Drawdown shows us is that we do actually have the tools in our toolbox that we need. Um, and, and so there is a path forward, and the question is, will we as, as humans choose to walk it? Um, and, yes. and I think at least knowing <laughs> we have the toolbox um, is, uh, is, is an important start. Um, 
Yes. But yeah, I would yes, love yes. to talk about some of the some of the key solutions. Um, sure. Well, and, me, and I think before the, you, you know, go the, into that, I want to. Yeah. I would like to actually just extend what you're saying and ask another question, which has to do with tipping sure. points. I, in fact, I, I've been so kind of deep in the space of what we've already done. I just had the environmental scientist, uh, Dr. Guy McPherson, on recently. He spent some time with me yeah. here in New York. And uh, to hear his interpretation of what's actually going on, on uh, the uh, polar ice caps, especially, of course, the Arctic, and what's happening with uh, the tundra, with permafrost, um, it looks yeah. like, you know, we, we have a matter of a couple of years, let alone decades. And just looking at, you know, the work so much of 350.org and Bill McKibben's um, comments over and again of being upwards of 400 is just, it's not sustainable. I mean, literally like the, the okay. species and many others die. So yes. The direness, um, as you're saying, the gravity is so severe. Maybe you could just comment on that a little bit and having passed certain tipping points that we will not be able to recover from. Yeah, it, um, there's a, a, a report that just um, a, a couple of weeks ago came out from, from Breakthrough uh, called What Lies Beneath. Um, and, and what they really dug into was um, the, the way in which, because we've been using consensus peer-reviewed science to guide the world's action on climate change, some of these risks have been under-communicated or under-represented yeah. um, or, or yeah. under-identified. And I think, you know, we're talking about you know, we're not talking about the risk of getting in a car accident, right? We're talking about yeah. the risk uh -huh. of, of landing on a relatively unlivable planet. Um, yes. Those are not risks we want to play with, and, and we should be managing uh, to those kinds of extremes, which, frankly, we haven't been doing. Um, and that's part of why Drawdown, you know, puts forward this goal of it's not enough to reduce emissions, not enough even to get to zero we need to actively be pulling down more carbon uh, than yes. we're sending up in greenhouse gases. We've got to turn around and head back towards the conditions that are most conducive for life on this planet. Um, mm -hmm. And I, and I think that, that message of, you know, you, you know, it's not enough just to change your light bulbs right? and, uh, right. and, and ride a bike on occasion. That's just not going to get us there. And, and I don't know that that message um, has reached the public in an effective way. And, and sometimes when it does reach the public, there is no communication of the solutions, you know, to, that, that kind of match the problem. Um, and, yes. and so it leaves people then feeling like, okay, well, you know, then what can I possibly do? You know? Um, yes. So it's a, it's a, it's a, tr it's a tricky set of dynamics, I think, Mitchell. Um, but one, that um, I, I, I try to remind myself sometimes that it is really um, a magnificent thing to be living on this planet at a, at a moment that is so important, um, perhaps, True. you know, a real turning point in, in the history of the human species and, and an exciting opportunity for 
a, a real leap forward, I think, in terms of our evolution yeah. as a species. Um, but if we don't take that leap, I think the news is not good. <laughs> <laughs> we'll be falling off the ladder, Catherine, <laughs> and it's a long yeah. fall. <laughs> Yeah, no, exactly. you you put it beautifully, and I I'm completely on target with you, and uh, it really is this evolutionary moment. I think that's an excellent way of putting it, and I kind of go down another step because of my background, I guess, in in psychology and in uh, mind body thinking, uh, underlaid by neuroscience. We can either move from our reptilian tendencies, if you will, into uh, prefrontal cortex and heart-based, which is a brain, of course, a heart-based lifestyle that will allow us not to think of just me, but of we and us as our sense of identity and even as wide and should be as the species and even wider to sentient life. I actually see a lot of what's going on, and I'd love to hear what you have to say about this, as a mental issue. This is a psychological developmental issue that we are dealing with. And honestly, if I were writing Drawdown, I would have to put that as number one, the psychological and emotional (laughs) arrest that needs to be evolved. (laughs) Yes. Anyway, um, that's for another book. Mitchell, I so... No, I I so agree, Um, and uh, you've sort of read my mind on uh, some thinking about a a possible, uh, let's call it interstitial essay um, for the second Uh edition of of Drawdown, which we're planning for 2020. Um, Oh, great. But it is. I mean, right, we we have great technologies and practices, um, but I think you're absolutely right that this is about um, a, a psychological um, heart-based spiritual mo- shift moment for humanity. Yeah. Um, and yes. you, you, you mentioned in my bio, I did religious studies in undergrad. I mean, I, saw I find these wanted. questions really fascinating, <laughs> um, yes. but also really critical. Yes. And, and when we unpack moments of nonlinear social change, um, you know, I think about, I'm, I'm from Atlanta, so I think about the civil rights era, um, we can yes. think about Gandhi's work in India, right? Many of these mm-hmm. moments where we have taken a leap forward, um, it's not just because we tweaked policy, right? It's because right. somehow um, our hearts really did uh, shift. Um, sure. And exactly. I, I think you're, you're so articulate on that, and I, I just couldn't agree more. Oh, well, thank you. And, yes, I'm so glad. I, I, you know, I think sometimes I'm over-psychologizing things um, because that's my background. Uh, but um, I actually chose that background because I see the issues at hand all the way from war um, with each other and, you know, military mm-hmm. conflicts all the way to the, our war on our precious planet on Gaia who's this living being, and we're at war with her literally every single day. And why is this? It it doesn't make rational sense. So that means that there are other issues at hand that really do need to be addressed. And I think that these things will help to facilitate that shift you were talking about, Catherine, from a current condition, if you will, to a, a new psychological and spiritual awakening if you will, not, not to use a hackneyed phrase, but, 
you know what I mean. <laughs> a moment of yes. maturity, a moment of maturation, <laughs> you know. Yes. And I think that is, you know, that that is the opportunity that is implicit in in global warming. You know, I, I really think about climatic yes. changes as um, feedback. The way we've been doing things hasn't been working, but that's not the only feedback we're, we're getting. You know, it's, I think very much the same system is creating injustice. It's creating income inequality. Exactly. It's creating um, crises of loneliness and depression and opioid oh, use to, to numb and, yes. and get through. So I think, it, you know, you and I are, are focused here today on the global warming piece, but we're getting a lot of feedback in different ways that um, we've got to, we've yes. got to change the operating system. Um, there you go. And I, I, I do think, you. you know, yeah, we're being sort of forced into, um, into this moment yeah. of kind of ch- change or, or, you know, kind of mm-hmm. move, move mm-hmm. along. <laughs> exactly. Hurry up um, now. Hurry up. You're going real slow, up. humanity. <laughs> you know, but you know, and the I, ancient I Greek, if... please. Go ahead. Go ahead, Mitchell. No, no, you please go ahead. Well, I, I was just going to say, I don't know if there are, are any listeners who are in or, or headed to San Francisco for the Global Climate Action Summit, but we're going to have yes. a great event on Sunday afternoon, um, actually with a, with a world peace um, uh, social enterprise called Live a Moment. Um, and we're going to be oh. engaging uh, with this, this sort of idea of a calm before the climate storm. And, and what are these sort of tumultuous nice. inner landscapes of a warming world? And how do we bring the best of our humanity to this challenge? And, and how do we approach the challenge as, as also an evolutionary opportunity? So if anyone's um, keen to, to join us for that, um, there are... And what is the date of that? Various uh, that's this Sunday, um, so so two days from now, the ninth. Um, Got it. You can find uh, oh, details gotcha. about that event and a whole host of others on our website, uh, which is drawdown.org. Oh, thank you for sharing that. I will be out there, but I don't arrive until the eleventh. So sadly, okay. I'll miss that. But I will be there for the climate change uh, summit. So. Maybe Great. We'll, well cross let's paths try to there. cross paths in person. Let's do so. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, you outline, you know, we're both outlining here some very important tenets to the new world, a better world that we are really in the midst of creating. Uh, I think it's so important. And it could be what I started to say earlier is that ancient Greek archetypal theme of mother necessity <clears throat> is really mm-hmm. the, um, mother of invention and it's sort of there's this part of our psyche it seems that only when we're pushed into the corner and the pressure is high do humans really get on with it that our ability to exercise forethought is not that great (laughs) and yet (laughs) when the pressure is up we do extraordinary things you know and we do have a whole yeah. historical background that 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 demonstrates this ability of ours. So maybe this is That's one of right. those, and maybe we can really break through, you know. So I love it. Yes, but let's, I, I, you know, I, I think sometimes the, the the sort of subtext 
of a lot of our discourse about climate change and environmental challenges is, you know, sort of humans are terrible, horrible, no good, very bad, greedy, lazy, uh, incompetent, yeah. intransigent, you know, and, and all the rest. And, yeah. and, and when, when you have that narrative as subtext, I mean, man, you do just want to sort of write us off. Um, yeah. And, That's right. and you're mentioning, you know, looking back at, at other moments in history, um, and we can see it in the work um, that has catalyzed the set of drawdown solutions. We are also creative and compassionate, and sometimes we show up in ways that are brilliant and gutsy. And um, yes. I think we have to, to remember um, the best of who we can be, um, even as we grapple with the impacts of the not so great human instincts. <laughs> You're right. Uh, well put. You know, I'm going to say, since we're going down this little bit of a historical uh, line and path, I, I think of sometimes, Catherine, what happened during World War II, when the United States, mm. States finally entered the fray of, of opposing Hitler. The United States economy and corporations came together in such a phenomenal and instant way to provide mm -hmm. the arms. Sadly, it was for war purposes, but it had to be at that very moment in time. And the amount of coherent, efficient, effective activity where uh, women and others were all part of an enormous kind of conveyor belt of activity to provide the bombs and the this and the that, the clothing, et cetera, the hemp, interestingly, et cetera, everything that was needed for the war effort. It happened so quickly. And I sometimes think, and I'd love to hear what you have to say about this, um, what if we could mobilize and marshal our energies and our commitment like we did then as a, as a population around this idea of sequestering carbon and changing lifestyle so we will stop producing so much CO2. Yeah. Your thoughts? Um, I, I, think it's a, I think it's a great example of, of what we are capable of when we decide to pull in the same direction together. Um, mm -hmm. and, and, you know, I, I, and I think about um, in so many ways uh, the, 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 the crisis of global warming and, and kind of the ecological crisis um, more broadly, this is the ultimate we're all in it together <laughs> um, yes. kind of set, set of, of circumstances War or of dynamics. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, and, and not just we're all in it together as humans, but we're all in it together, as, as you were saying earlier, as as all beings um, and, right. and all living systems um, on this yeah. incredible planet that, that we get to call home. Um, and yeah, I, 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 I hope, um, and, and this is something we really try to do in Drawdown is, is um, move away from, from some of the us versus them thinking that, that can come up yes. um, in, in the climate space um, so that we start to see this as um, a collective effort and a collective opportunity to, sh to shape a, a, a world that um, would be a better, a better world to live in. Yes. Well put. Well put. Yes. It has to be us. 
<laughs> and uh, yes. no longer a them. That's right. All the them yes. have become us, right? Yes. Uh, and, you and, know, and, you and reminded these, me. <laughs> please. Yeah. No, please. I'm listening. Okay. Um, we're, both of our minds are, are I think we're enjoying each now. other a little <laughs> bit here. I think we're a bit aligned here. I think so too. Um, and I just, before it slips my mind, um, your, your language of uh, necessity being the mother of invention, um, I, I wanted to also share um, on this note of, of really incredible stories of, of leadership and, and forward momentum, um, Mary Robinson, who really needs yeah. no introduction, but the, the former um, president of Ireland and incredible climate justice advocate. Um, yes. She has a new podcast out uh, with this wonderful Irish comedian, Maeve Higgins, and um, it's called Mothers of Invention. And it is really lifting oh, up the funny. stories um, of women around the world who are leading work on divestment and litigation and plastics and food and oh, health wow. and environmental justice and um, it really is, it's brilliantly done, um, but it's incredible to hear the stories um, of, of folks who are just doing amazing work um, and often work that is, is going right under the radar for most folks. Oh, that's so, I'm so glad you brought that up here. That's so important for people to know about so they can tune in. I mean, after all, what we're broadcasting, so people around them, we, we have an international audience as well. People in India and New Zealand, Australia, Mexico, etc. And uh, so Fabulous. that they could access that podcast also is a wonderful thing because you mentioned it. So I'm, yes. I'm thrilled to hear it. And it's a, there's an, a really nice mix of stories from the global south um, and leadership from the global south as well. Oh, beautiful. Beautiful. Let's yeah. let everybody know again that uh, Catherine will be in New York along with Lynn Twist and a few others. Bill McKibben will be moderating the panel on September 24th at the Society yeah. for Ethical Culture. It's a drawdown event where everyone will be getting on the same page and learning together. I think it's so important to do that. It creates the morphogenetic experience that we need as a larger <laughs> field of humans, you know, to come together yeah. and learn step by step the deep water that we are in first and foremost, and at least first and foremost actually being working together collectively on the solutions. And that's the book that Paul Hawken and Catherine Wilkinson, our guest today, have so meticulously put together. And that's, of course, the subject of today. And we want you to all know that you can get a taste of that either by going and buying the book, but to be part of the solution. Please join us on uh, September 24th that evening. Go to abetterworld.tv. It's staring at you in the face. Click a button or two and get your $10 ticket and be part of the solution. So I just wanted to say that. That is being sponsored, by the way, by the Pachamama Alliance, our group here in New York. And uh, A Better World is very active with the Pachamama Alliance, and we're doing what we can to promote this event. And thank you, Catherine, for joining us today to help with that effort. And uh, the Society for Ethical Culture. 
that have both come together to offer our our uh, city and environs this wonderful event. So, well, listen, maybe we should get around to refrigerants a little bit and a few other of the beautiful <laughs> items <laughs> yeah, that you have so painstakingly put together. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, back back to that toolbox that we have. Yeah. That's right. Let's talk about um, that toolbox. <laughs> let's talk about it. Yeah. So there are um, there are a hundred uh, solutions in in the book, um, and also there's great content about them on our our website drawdown.org. Um, Eighty of the solutions in the book are what I I would call sort of trains that have already left the station. Right. So they're technologies and practices that are in use um, in the world. They're working. We have great data about them, um, but we have a big opportunity to scale them um, much, much more over, over the, the next couple of decades. And, um, and, and what you see in this mix uh, are some of the usual suspects, um, the, the things that come most quickly to mind, I think, when we, when we, ask ourselves to imagine climate solutions. So onshore wind turbines is number two. Uh, offshore wind is number 22. Uh, utility scale solar farms are solution number eight. Uh, rooftop solar is solution number 10. And of course, all of the energy solutions depend on storage and, and grid flexibility as well. So, so those are critical uh, kind of enablers um, to, Could to you make that define whole energy. grid flexibility. Sure. <laughs> um, so I think the, the easiest way to think about it, you know, right now, um, I mean, the grid is sort of an amazing thing. It's kind of incredible that we have this energy creation and delivery. It's like a global machine. nervous system, um, right? Yeah. It's, I mean, it's, it's really amazing if you think about um, it, how that all came together. Um, but the grid as it exists works really well when you have um, kind of a big centralized electricity production. Um, so things like coal or gas-fired power plants, um, big hydropower, um, nuclear, that, that sort of thing. And it's a one-way delivery system, right? It's created um, and then it's sent out um, across um, transmission and distribution lines to businesses and homes and, um, yes. and, and whatever else. Um, but as we move towards alternative um, renewable energy sources like solar and wind, um, they're more variable, right? There's uh, the sun yeah. doesn't shine 24 hours a day and the, and the wind doesn't blow with consistency. And so, um, so the grid has to be able to um, adapt to fluctuations yes. in supply and also fluctuations in demand, right? We know we use more energy um, kind of in, 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 you know, peaks in the day when it's, um, hot, right? Maybe air conditioners are running more. Everybody's got their computers and their lights going. That that mm -hmm. kind of thing. And and so there's not always alignment between the production of electricity and the need for electricity. Um, so so how do you balance these things? That's what grid flexibility is really all about. And it's about creating 
in some ways, a more dynamic two-way system between supply and demand with the capacity also to store energy, which is surprisingly difficult. <laughs> um, yeah, and, and so there are, there are some sort of more old school solutions like uh, pumped hydro, pumped hydro. Um, which is sort of <laughs> yes. pumped hydro, which is, which is kind of like um, dam on demand, like sort of like hydro power. Yes, that's right. Release that's right. the water. I worked on a when, when pumped hydro a, project a for a while. Yes. I'm very <laughs> yeah, aware of it. Um, yeah. Yeah, and then of course, you know, the thing lots of folks are are thinking about um, now when when you think storage um, is more distributed storage in the form of of batteries, um, which has been a, a technology that's been sort of slower in its evolution um, than, for example, uh, solar panels and wind turbines, which are just so incredibly effective and efficient now. Yes, yes. Basically, you're talking about having a flexible grid is like having a of a positive feedback loop within the system. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Right. Um, a, a system Supply, that can demand, a more dynamic energy rate. storage, et cetera. Mm -hmm. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Please go on. Um, yeah, uh, so, so you mentioned refrigerants. Um, there are maybe some more un unusual suspects in, in the, the sort of top drawdown solutions, and uh, refrigerants are, are one of them. Um, let's see, how, how deeply should we go into refrigerants? Basically, um, <laughs> well, why don't you talk about I mean, is it the uh, Freon? <laughs> is it the CFCs? What, what is it? Because, I mean, back a long time ago, um, you know, the refrigerants were known to be uh, destroying our ozone layer. That was the, the conversation yes. at the time. Is that what you're referring yes. to, or is it even more serious? Yes, so it it's, it's a follow-on effect of that, actually. Um, so, okay. so when we discovered that CFCs, um, chlorofluorocarbons, were having this uh, terrible impact on our ozone layer, um, the Montreal Protocol was – uh, designed and adopted to phase out the use of, of those CFCs and, and other ozone-destroying chemicals. Um, the dominant refrigerant chemical that, that came in to replace CFCs um, and is in most of our air conditioning units and refrigerators and on and on um, are HFCs, hydrofluorocarbons. And HFCs are, are great on the one hand because they have almost no negative impact on the ozone layer, but they turn out to be incredibly potent greenhouse gases that are um, a thousand times or more as effective as, as carbon dioxide at trapping heat in the atmosphere. Even more so than methane. Kind of, <laughs> even, even more than, more methane, than methane. Way more than methane. Oh, yes. My. And, and so we're not releasing kind of quantity wise, we're not releasing as many uh, kind of molecules of HFCs. Um, but the HFCs that are getting released have this super outsized, impact oh um, compared to, to carbon dioxide or, or methane, and, um, and they're everywhere, right? And so when we yes. don't dispose of HFCs properly, um, they can escape um, and, and end up adding to the greenhouse effect in the atmosphere. But um, we actually can, um, can, can manage leaks and disposal more effectively um, and have the potential to avoid almost 
uh, 90 gigatons of uh, the equivalent uh, in carbon dioxide um, over 30 years. So incredibly powerful. And that's actually in addition to the impact that we're going to see um, back in the fall of 2016, uh, when most of us in the U.S. were uh, paying more, more close attention to an election than we were to international uh-huh. uh, environmental negotiations, um, yes. the, the world actually did come to an agreement to amend the Montreal Protocol. Uh, so uh, came together, leaders came together in Kigali, Rwanda, and that so-called Kigali Amendment uh, to the Montreal Protocol is, is going to lead to the phase out of HFCs um, first in higher All income together. countries and then and then in lower income countries in the coming years. So it's one of those one of those challenges that sort of we 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 have a, a bit of a of a plan in place, um, but yes. uh, in the meantime there are a lot of these HFCs around and more coming into use. Um, so we've got a, a big opportunity to to manage them more carefully. Mm-hmm. And how are we currently disposing of them and even the entire refrigerant apparatus and appliances? What is currently done? Yeah, so it it depends, right? Um, Sometimes it's it's done really well. Uh, For example, um, the EPA has a a whole program around um, disposing of of refrigerants if folks are are keen to to learn more. Um, But Mm -hmm. you can also imagine that sometimes uh, defunct refrigerators or air conditioning window units um, just and they may end up in a in a landfill they may end up in an open dump depending what what part of the world you're in um, yes. where these these chemicals are not being uh, captured and, uh, and 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 decommissioned so to speak um, and yes. and they're actually you know able to, to leak um, and and end up in the atmosphere I am working we talk about with <laughs> a Are you working? Yeah. Why don't we talk about I... riding horses? Come on. Um, yeah, let's talk uh, about yeah, let's talk about horses. <laughs> I like that. Um should we talk a about a little dressage? <laughs> yeah. Um I'm working with a waste to energy company and technology mm. that says they are able to dispose of all waste of every sort up to nuclear in a totally energy-efficient way, leaving no, as in zero, carbon footprint through the process. And with what you're saying, yes, it's a remarkable statement and claim. And based on what you're saying now that I understand a few more of the intricacies of the HFCs and refrigerant uh, material and hardware, if that would also include this. Because if so, Mm. we would have a great breakthrough on our hands. Wow. Well, I'm interested to to learn more about that. Maybe we can chat about that in San Francisco next week. There we go. Okay, good. And I'll do the inquiry before I get there. So, yeah. So Fabulous. please go on. I mean, one of the most striking, one of the most striking items in the first top ten of drawdown mm-hmm. that you all, uh, you know, assembled here is the education of girls. I mean, I think that's an awesome, you know, kind of 
piece of the whole picture. Maybe you could expand upon that. Yeah, let's let's talk about that one. Um, so there's a, a a sector of solutions in Drawdown that is in some ways um, deceptively small. <laughs> it's just three yeah. solutions um, that are under the heading of women and girls. Um, and and why is that the case? So we we know that um, that that the um, the negative impacts of climate change hit women and girls the hardest, uh, particularly women and girls um, who are uh, in conditions of poverty because of existing vulnerabilities and, uh, and roles in society. And I think there's also a growing awareness that women are critical agents of change um, across all of the solutions uh, within Drawdown. Um, but what has gotten maybe less attention and, and we try to lift up in this work is that actually there are key areas where gender equity itself is a climate solution. Um, mm. and, and one mm. of those areas is educating girls. Um, so folks, folks have probably heard, thanks to um, you know, in, incredible uh, voices and, and advocates like uh, Malala Yousafzai, um, there is a gender gap mm-hmm. in the classroom yes. um, still today in, in the 21st century, and it's particularly acute in secondary classrooms. Um, there are about 130 million girls around the world who are of the age to be in school um, but are not in school. And mm. that matters for, for so many reasons for um, health and um, empowerment and upward mobility uh, is, is across the board. Education is yes. so powerful. Um, but it also turns out that education has a ripple effect on greenhouse gas emissions. And that's because yes. women with more years of education choose to have fewer children um, and they more actively manage the, the size and spacing of their families um, through the use of contraception. Uh, and and reproductive uh, health care. And um, so there's um, some work that was done at the Brookings Institution that shows if you, if you compare um, a, a girl who has gone to school for no years to one who has gone to school for 12 all the way through, through high school, um, the difference ends up being four to five children per woman over, over the course of, of her lifetime. And so mm. if you add up, this ripple effect of education on fertility rates around the world and over time, um, you start to see that securing this fundamental human right to education for all girls can end up having a big effect on how many feet will be making their carbon footprints um, by the time we reach the middle of the century. So um, Pretty, pretty fascinating, right? And it's, of course, Truly. you know, I, 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 I sort of piece this in. Education is, is one side of a coin. And the other side, of course, is family mm-hmm. planning. If, if you want to, to manage the size and spacing of your family, you need the means to do that. And that means addressing uh, the gap that exists um, in terms of access to really high quality voluntary reproductive health care. Uh, we know that there are at least 214 million women uh, just in lower income countries who say that they, they want the ability uh, to decide whether and when to become pregnant, but they have an unmet need in this area. Um, mm-hmm. And of course, mm-hmm. we know there's need 
um, in our own country. Uh, and um, we're yes. still a, a shockingly high percentage of, of pregnancies are unintended. So together, yes. you, you think about education and family planning. These are really about fundamental rights and opportunities for women um, that end up having this positive ripple effect um, on, yes. on climate change. Uh, by reducing the, the total number of, of humans who are who are around and um, yeah. and and needing energy and needing cement and eating food and uh, sure. driving cars and all the rest. Sure, sure, and that's a very sensitive subject. Uh, just because there again, if we come back to a a psychological and emotional. Uh, matter in a way, a matrix, if you will, um, mm-hmm. that has been embedded in society for so long, which is the prejudice against women, which is this, mm-hmm. I see it as, unfortunately, uh, our relationship to the earth herself, which I, you know, do tend to think of as female or certainly feminine. Mm-hmm. And uh, so what is man's relationship to the feminine? I mean, most mm. fundamentally, not to get too <laughs> abstract with you, but, you know, maybe that's yeah. what we're really staring in the face of here, Catherine. And yeah. so how we I, treat women and girls is how we treat the earth yeah. herself. You were yeah, going to say? Yeah, you know, I, I really agree. Um, I really agree, Mitchell. I think this, um, this sort of extractive uh, take make yeah. waste orientation that we see to the planet is is the same thing in some ways I think that women are are rising up uh, against and speaking out on yes. under this banner of me too right that it's um, yes. it's not okay uh, to treat our bodies as objects that can be taken and and used um, in in the way uh, that that someone wants to, um, yes. but isn't seeking, uh, consent or, um, or, 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 or partnership, right. In, in these choices. Yes. And, um, yes. you know, I, I think and in a honoring lot of ways, and showing proper respect. Yes. Yes. Um, and, you know, and, and I think this is an area, these, these, this intersection of gender and climate, I think has been yes. frankly a real blind spot, um, when the topic of population has been addressed, it's often been addressed in very draconian um, and yes. even deeply problematic ways, right? And and still mm-hmm. I hear this language around population control, and it's like that's the wrong right. verb, right? That's right. the verb is exactly. empowerment. The verb is choice. That's right. Verb Education. Is, you know. Yeah. Exactly. Um, And trusting women, that women um, make great choices when they are given the means to make them. Um, In fact, the evidence really shows that women make much better choices than men do. And (laughs) I love some of the data that I have seen. You've probably seen it as well, Catherine, that when there are women on boards of directors of any number of different kinds of corporations, they're actually more profitable. <laughs> Just to use that yes. one very linear <laughs> measurement, you know? It's like, yes. what's that yes. about, right? Well, we're, yes. we see what it's really about. Women make better decisions than men do overall. Yes, yes. And it's, um, we see this also, the, the other uh, quote-unquote women and girls solution and drawdown focuses on 
women smallholder farmers, um, so who may be operating on fewer than five acres. And uh, like in so many areas of society, there's a gender gap in agriculture um, where women have less access to land rights, resources, credit, education, seeds, water, you name it. But when women have the same access to productive inputs as men, they farm Mm -hmm. at least as capably and efficiently. And many times they actually have higher yields. They produce more food on the same amount of land compared to men. Um, So it's, it's another area where sort of profits improved with, with leadership from women. Oh, is that interesting? I did not know that fact. That is, thank goodness for Mohammed Yunus and the Grameen Bank and all of the microcredit activities that have been just flourishing around the world when women are finally getting some credit and some loans to start these, you know, cottage industries and are able to grow and take a greater stake in in their communities, right? Yes. Absolutely. Um, There's an incredible organization called Root Capital that I got to know this year through the Skoll World Forum, um, and they're doing Mm -hmm. really amazing work um, uh, in terms of of getting capital into the hands of of women smallholders um, Mm. in in South America and in Africa. The work is is really incredible. I encourage people to take a peek. Oh, that is fantastic. Well, we're almost out of time, and uh, which is not something I like at all because I'm enjoying this <laughs> conversation with you so deeply. And I also feel that it's very impactful, Catherine, all that you are sharing with our audience about, you know, sort of the from the actual to-do list of how we need to sort of interact Uh, with our technologies and with our environment and, of course, then again with education, especially of girls. And this is Mm -hmm. of such vital importance. I mean, I don't know how to – you're making a point underneath it all that time is here now for action. I feel like another kind of psychological aspect that I'd love to hear you just – comment on is I feel like we're looking down the barrel of a shotgun and we're being Mm. forced to do something that we need as humans to do anyway. It's just really to look Mm. at our own death. And by looking at our own death, we're then automatically looking at our own lives. And how much do Mm -hmm. we really value them anyway? Because we're being given Mm -hmm. a moment of choice between life and death and uh, not just us individually, but as a species. And it's a larger identification, if you will, uh, you know, with something that we're part of in a very large way and the result of, you know, millions and millions of years of evolution. And are we going to just kind of blow it in a couple of hundred years, which is like a grain of sand relative to the entire lifespan of life on Mm -hmm. Earth, at least? You know, Mm -hmm. it's a Mm -hmm. very kind of existential moment we're all facing and we have to evaluate how much is our own lives really worth. And that's a confrontation. I don't know if so many people are interested in doing, but we are doing it. We are, in a sense, being pressed into the corner to do. 
and based on your background in religious studies. <laughs> what are your comments? <laughs> yeah, I, you know, I, I think so often, um, well, I guess if you were just to measure it, right, so much of the conversation about, about climate change is about science and policy and technology. Yes. Um, yes. And, and the truth is that there are these enormous existential questions, just as, as you're saying, that, that are raised in this moment and by these dynamics. Right? What does it mean to be a human being on a planet yes. that's changing and that's changing because we're changing it? I mean, these yes. are enormous questions around purpose and meaning and who are we anyway and what's this exactly. all about? Exactly, exactly. Um, and I think, yeah. <laughs> you know, we, um, I think that, that the world's uh, r- religions and wisdom traditions give us some resources to grapple with, with some of those questions. Um, yes. Not all the resources maybe, but, but they give us some language and some starting a points. Footing. Um, a definite footing. A footing, yeah. yeah. And, and, and oftentimes spaces to engage these, these questions that matter, right? Um, we, we need more of those, uh, I think, community conversations um, where we can can really be honest about the the depth of the of of the the, the questions um, the real human questions that emerge in, out of this moment um, I certainly feel like I need more spaces uh, to to come together with with folks and and um, and yes. work through those this is a this is a remarkable moment um, and and we don't have all the answers <laughs> by any true. stretch of the imagination. Um, but I think true. it's a bit of that sort of Rilke truism of, of, of keep yes. living the questions um, mm-hmm. and, and mm-hmm. loving them and, and, see, and see where that leads us. Wow, that's so beautiful. That's so beautiful. I think that's probably a, a fitting note on which to complete this portion of what I see is going to be an ongoing dialogue. So we'd love to have you back I, I again look forward another to it. time. <laughs> oh, yes, because we have to answer these questions. <laughs> we do. <laughs> we need these answers. We do, and we... <laughs> <laughs> and I yep, have a funny feeling that if you and I keep talking, maybe we will get these resolved. <laughs> yeah, um, I think we could make some headway, Mitchell. <laughs> I think so. I think we already just did, and I really appreciate it, Catherine. I really so appreciate the work that you and Paul Hawken and your venerable team of scientists and researchers have done what you've accomplished here I feel is really it really is a turning point you're giving us a a flag around which to rally our next steps and even though there have been uh, some like we mentioned uh, Solomon earlier and um, you know the solutions project you know and there are have been things of that sort which are wonderful I don't think there has been anything approaching the work you have done in the word comprehensive is really accurate. Mm. You have really looked at every area, every domain, and examined it for how we can utilize it for a certain kind of outcome here. And um, just thank you so much. 
Well, thank thank you for um, such kind uh, kind words about the work and uh, and for having me on the show. This has been um, such a, a, a fun and engaging, um, and uh, it's a conversation that's going to leave me uh, chewing on some things. <laughs> I think for the rest of the day, Mitchell. <laughs> Wonderful. Well, I'm pleased and honored to hear that. So thank you so much for joining me today, Catherine. And uh, I'll be seeing you actually first in San Francisco and then in New York. Yeah. So I'll reach out to you when I arrive and we'll, we'll cross paths. Wonderful. Looking forward to it and safe travels out to the West Coast. Thanks so much. Catherine right. Wilkinson. Bye-bye now. Lovely, lovely woman who is doing so much and has been doing so much for a long time to address these issues that are literally threatening our species and all sentient life. I mean, if we calculate the number of species that die daily, daily, it's not within our ability or consciousness to really reckon with or even represent consciously to ourselves because the damage is is too severe it's too extreme and so this effort that is being made is extraordinary and it's one i personally believe we all need to actively participate in and one of the ways you can all well i don't know all of you but a lot of you can join in is by joining us in new york city in the big beautiful big apple on September 24th at the Society for Ethical Culture. We would love for you to come and participate. I mentioned earlier the morphogenetic field, and I said it playfully, but I really mean it. This is when there's a thought field, uh, Tilad de Chardin, many others, the noosphere, this idea that when we come together, we think together, we create energy patterns in the world that go far beyond our geographical locus it has nothing to do with that actually um they are ideas that we impregnate the larger global sphere with and that's why we want you to be part of that endeavor uh because it really does include all of us so if you go to a betterworld.tv www.abetterworld.tv you will see right smack there in the middle a link which will take you to the place to join. And as Catherine said, there are requests for drawdown events across the country and across the world coming in daily. And I think that is so impressive. It speaks so well of our humanity and our deep wish to really reckon with and positively, constructively do something about our current situation and that's the kind of energy and momentum we need so go to the drawdown website as well project drawdown and see how you can learn more and participate so we want to thank Catherine wilkinson and paul hawken and all the others who have taken so much to draft this book and who are spearheading this work and I want to also thank and honor the Pachamama Alliance for its work and its role in leadership in this space as well and yes a better world is 
connected to and part of that. It's true. And uh, we will continue to make our efforts both on the level of personal health, psychological, emotional, and physical, and planetary health and well-being and sustainability. So on that note, I want to just thank you all for listening and spread the word. Take this link and send it to your friends and family and foes. Send it all. Everyone is in this alive together, as Catherine reminded us before. We're all in this together. You know, Reverend Jesse Jackson has that wonderful line. We may have all taken different boats here, but we're all in the same one now. (laughs) So on that note, I want to just thank you all again. And please drop me a line at mjr at abetterworld.net. I love hearing your thoughts and your comments, mjr at abetterworld.net, and contact me there also if you want any of our services offered, our healing, energy balancing, coaching, counseling services here at A Better World. And on that note, I look forward to seeing you all, if not in San Francisco, at the Global Summit in New York City at the Society for Ethical Culture, and we have other exciting activities coming up as well. Stay informed, get on the mailing list, and we look forward to seeing you soon.